God is in control. It's a phrase that we commonly hear in Christian circles, but is he really in control of everything that happens on the earth, good or bad? And if he's not in control, does he permit things? And if he doesn't permit things, then why doesn't he stop things from happening? Hello and welcome to Faith Talks. I'm your host, Emily Preston, and in these podcasts, we will be discussing how to practically apply the principles found in the Word, or how to be a doer of the Word, so that you can start seeing more of the manifestation of God's grace in every area of your life. Welcome back, everybody. Today is the third installment in the teaching, Is God in Control? This is potentially the most damaging doctrine that is around in the body of Christ nowadays. And as we discussed previously, it's because it gives people an attitude of passivity in that they feel that whatever they do, doesn't matter what they do, what they say, how many confessions they make, doesn't matter how much they pray, it doesn't matter how much authority they uh, exercise over the enemy. At the end of the day, God is in control and he has the final say in whether they get healed, whether they see deliverance, whether uh, anything happens in the earth, it's all ultimately up to God. And that is totally against what the Word of God teaches. And so we've gone into quite an in-depth discussion, gone to a lot of scripture to see what does the Word say about it. So we're not only answering the question, is God in control? We're also answering the question, if God isn't in control, does he permit things? Does he allow things to happen? So it may not be his doing, but he permits it. He allows things. And then the third question we answer in relation to that, is that if he doesn't permit things or allow things, then why doesn't he stop things from happening? Why doesn't he stop the earthquakes? Why doesn't he stop children from dying? Why doesn't he stop child abuse and pedophilia? Why doesn't he stop uh, drug addiction and suicide? All of those things, those terrible tragedies that take place on a daily basis. Why doesn't God stop them? Okay, so it all falls under the category of the sovereignty of God and is God in control. And so over the last couple of episodes, we've brought out several points and we've answered the question, is God in control using scripture, using proof from the word that shows what the answer is. And so what we've brought out so far is that God is not in control because Jesus not only paid the price for our salvation, so salvation, which means healing, prosperity, peace, joy, and love, nothing missing, nothing broken. Salvation is a finished work. So we are not working to earn it. It's not up to God whether we receive it or not. It's up to us. And we receive salvation by faith. And so not only has God made salvation available to us, he's also given us the faith we need to receive it. He has given to every man the measure of faith. Now we talked about how Adam and Eve lost authority when they sinned, when they ate the forbidden fruit, they lost authority that they have been given. But Jesus restored that authority to man after he went to the cross. So he took the keys of hell and the grave and he restored authority and dominion over everything that creeps upon the earth, all of the creeps. 
He has given us authority over once again through his finished works. And now we are the law enforcement officers of this earth. We enforce the spiritual laws that say that the enemy has no right to steal, to kill or to destroy anything that belongs to us. We talked about how God has given us the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And those keys are whatever we allow, he allows. Whatever we prohibit, he prohibits. So he doesn't do the allowing and the prohibiting, we do. And then he and all the forces of heaven back up our uh, our decisions. And then we talked about how God has given us the authority to say thy kingdom come thy will be done in this earth as it is in heaven he has told us jesus taught us how to pray and he told us to to make a demand that whatever is contained in the kingdom of heaven and that is peace that is healing that is prosperity that is joy we are to demand that that kingdom come and that will be done on earth as it is in heaven And then we looked at the fact that God has given us the name of Jesus and that at the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow. God doesn't command them to bow their knee. We command them to bow their knee when we use the name of Jesus. And then we looked at Mark 11, 22 and 23, where it says that we have the faith of God. So therefore, because we have the faith of God, we are to say to the mountain, we are to speak to the mountain and say to it, be removed and be cast into the sea. God doesn't speak to the mountain for us. We speak to the mountain. We don't pray and ask God to move the mountain. We speak to the mountain. And God told us to condemn every tongue that would rise against us in judgment because no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But again, we are the ones that do the condemning. We've brought out so much in the word that show the authority, the the dominion, but we have to use what God has given us to enforce his will upon this earth. And he's given us his word. The most important thing that God has given us is his word, which is his will in our lives his word is his will in print form his will is his word and it's our bag of seed for any kind of harvest we require if you read mark chapter 4 it goes into detail about the sower and the sower sows the word and that we are the sowers God is not the sower of the word. We are the sower of the word. And so whatever harvest we require, we go to the bag of seed, which is the word of God. And we take a seed out that uh, for whatever it is that we require. And we sow that word with our mouth and we sow it into the ground of our heart. And our heart goes to work to bring forth the harvest, to bring forth the fruit of that seed that we are sowing. And God's word in our mouth is as powerful as God's word in his mouth. He has made us in his image and we are designed to operate and function the same way that he does, which is that we say a thing and it has to come to pass. Romans 5 verse 17 says that those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, which is us, the believers, it says that they shall reign in life. They shall reign in life through one who is Jesus Christ. One translation of that verse says that we shall reign in life as kings. 
How does a king reign? A king reigns by making decrees. A king does not get off his throne and go down and try and do all the work, sort everything out himself. No, he makes a decree and then everything has to be done by those under him to carry that decree out. And this verse says that we reign in life as kings. And the way we reign in life as kings is by making decrees. We decree the promises of God. We decree the word of God and everything has to go to work in the natural and the supernatural to carry that decree out. That's awesome. Okay, so today we're going to look at some more scriptures in the word to find out and put to rest the doctrine, is God in control? So let's go to Ephesians 6 verse 10. And in Ephesians 6 verse 10, it says, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So according to this verse, and then there's other scriptures in Ephesians that go into detail about what the armor of God is, but God has given us a full set of spiritual armor so that we can wage war and win against the enemy. We can win against the devil and his forces who are the ones that we wrestle against. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people. We don't wrestle against presidents and politicians. We don't wrestle against bosses and friends and colleagues. We don't wrestle against spouses and children. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. We have a supernatural enemy. And we can't fight supernatural wars with natural weapons. So God has given us a full artillery of supernatural weapons, including a full set of armor, which is what we are to use to fight against the enemy. And the most important pieces he's given us are the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So not only do we have the faith of God, which is the shield of faith, but we have the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and we use to defeat the enemy. So when the enemy of sickness tries to attack us, we pull out our sword of the spirit and hold up our shield of faith, and we stand against the enemy that's trying to steal our health. When the enemy of lack shows up, we pull out our sword of the spirit and we put up our shield of faith and we fight off the attack against our provision. Whatever the enemy throws at us, there is a promise in the word that is your sword of the spirit that you can use against that attack. But you're not going to have a sword of the spirit if you don't know the word of God. Now notice that God's not going to put the armor on for you. He says you put on the whole armor of God. Notice that he's not going to stand against the wiles of the devil. We are to stand against the wiles of the devil. So not only has God given us everything that we need for a victorious and overcoming life in our place of authority and dominion. 
He's given us the armor. He's given us the sword of the spirit. He's told us that we don't fight against people and flesh and blood. Okay, so he's given us everything that we need. But then he's also given us a secret weapon. He's given us a little something extra. See, God isn't watching from the grandstands of heaven like a Roman emperor at a gladiator match. You know, he's not sitting up there watching to see whether we kill the lion or the lion kills us and just, you know, he doesn't really mind what the outcome is. It's all a bit of sport for him. No, he is on our side. He's given us everything we need to overcome, but he can't do the overcoming for us. So not only has he given us all this armor, all this weaponry, he's given us a secret weapon, which is the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever seen any kind of movie where there's kind of like a spy, like a James Bond kind of movie, and they've got an earpiece in, and they're getting instructions from the control room that are saying, you know, the the uh, the other guy's coming up the stairs and he's making his way f- towards you from the right hand of the building. And then so, you know, James Bond knows what to do, where to position himself based on what's coming through his earpiece. Well, the Holy Spirit is our counselor. He's our advisor. He's our helper. He's our intercessor. And he's the very thoughts and voice of God Almighty himself. He's the voice in our earpiece saying, go this way. Don't go that way. Just wait here for a minute. And he is our tactical advisor. He's our strategic analyst living in our born again spirit and who is with us all day, every day. He sees all things. He knows all things. And the word of God says that he shows them to us. He's not keeping anything secret from us. He shows us all things. And the way that we communicate with the Holy Spirit is through the special secret language that he's given us, the gift of tongues. It's our secret code language. And the amazing benefit of speaking in tongues is that even when we don't know how to pray, we can pray in tongues or pray in the Spirit and we are praying the perfect prayer and we are praying the perfect outcome of that situation and we don't even have to know what we're praying so oh my goodness it's just it it's so obvious that God has given us more than enough to overcome in every area of our lives he's not left anything uncovered and just on that note if you'd like more teaching on the benefits of praying in the spirit I have done a three-part actually sorry I've done a I think a five-part series on the benefit of praying in tongues. And I go into a lot of detail on what the benefits are so that next time you pray in the Spirit, you can pray from a position of faith knowing what the benefit is of your prayers. So that's available on my podcast if that interests you to listen to that, which I highly recommend that you do. It'll change the whole way that you see things when you're praying in the Spirit. So as you can see here, God hasn't left us to our limited understanding he doesn't just expect us to figure it all out not only has he given us the weapons and the tools to dominate against the enemy he's going to tell us exactly how to do it and how to win in every situation every time 
He will tell us what decisions are right and wrong. He will warn us not to go this way, but to go the other way instead. He is the source of wisdom when we don't know what the answer is. He knows the intimate secrets of the universe. And according to John 16, 13, it says that he will show them to us. God's not hiding anything. He is not holding anything back from us. All we have to do is ask him and he will show those things to us. Okay, so let's answer the question again. Is God in control? No, God has given us a fully loaded, fully stocked artillery, full to the brim with every weapon we could ever need to maintain dominion and order in this earth. He's given us a full set of spiritual armor. He's put an earpiece in our ears with all of the advice, tips, tactics, and winning strategy through the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he's given us the ability to speak an entirely foreign heavenly prayer language so that we can talk to God about everything that we need without the devil being able to understand us or our own unbelief, our own thoughts can't interfere with it he's given us everything but if we don't use what he's given us if we're ignorant of it or if we just are plain lazy and prefer to leave it all up to God then there's nothing more than he can do about it so another common argument that people will bring up when it comes to God being in control is that they say things like well he led me through this to teach me patience Or he could see what was ahead of me and he allowed this thing to happen to me because he was trying to teach me how to be strong for the future thing that was coming. Okay, so let's answer that argument. Does God lead us through things to teach us patience? Does he put things on us to teach us to be more humble or to have self-control? Okay, so let's have a look at this. God has already given us the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, it lists the fruit of the Spirit, and these fruit of the Spirit are already in us. They are already in our born-again spirits in abundance, okay? And 2 Peter 1, we talked about this in the last episode. It says that he's already given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, okay? So everything that we need for life, so if we need health, if we need Uh, finances if we need success in our relationships he's already given us everything for for the life side of things he's already given us everything also for godliness so you could say you know I just am trying to be more like Jesus I'm trying to be more more like God I'm trying to be more patient I'm trying to be kinder I'm trying to be more loving Everything that we need for godliness has also already been given to us. But the way that we access those things, if we're in any lack of them, the way we access the fruit of the Spirit, the way that we access everything He's given us for that godliness comes through the knowledge of the Word and through His great and precious promises. So once again, we have to go to the word. We have to use the word of God to access everything that he has already given us. It's already in store, stored up in our born again spirits, but we access them through our knowledge of the word and through his great and precious promises. 
and then the way we draw that out. So if you need more patience, if you need to be more loving, if you need to be, you know, more self-controlled and get control over your emotions, over your anger, if you need to be free from depression, Philemon 1 verse 6 says that the communication or the partnership of our faith becomes effective by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what this scripture is saying is that the way that we use our faith for patience, for wisdom, for love, or for any of the other fruit of the Spirit is to acknowledge or agree or confess to say the same thing as what we already have in our born again spirit to acknowledge that we already have those things that is the way that we make our faith effective that is the way that we draw those things out of our spirit is to acknowledge that we already have them gosh i love the word of god it it circles back to to the same principle every single time if you need more love if you need less anger if you need freedom from depression you say out of your mouth I walk in love. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I am kind. I am slow to anger, quick to listen. I am slow to speak. I walk in forgiveness with everybody who has hurt me. And see, you are acknowledging what is already in you through Christ Jesus. And that is the way the communication of your faith becomes effective. You go and you find your word seed for walking in love, for being patient, for being kind, for being slow to anger. You find that word seed and you plant that seed by speaking it out of your mouth. You plant that word seed that says that the joy of the Lord is your strength and that you have no depression in you. And the ground of your heart will go to work to bear the harvest of whatever you are speaking that seed for. So going back to what we said at the beginning, If we already have those things, if we already have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control, then there is zero need for God to take us through tests or trials to make us more patient, to teach us self-control, or to humble us. First of all, James says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. God doesn't humble us. If God humbles us, it would be humiliation. He says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and God will raise you up. Now, I'm not saying that you can learn how to be more patient or more self-controlled through going through tests and trials, but God is not behind it and he is not trying to teach you something by taking you through a test or trial. James 1 verse 13, just to summarize everything we're saying, it says that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. In other words, he doesn't test anyone. Do you want to know the way God teaches us? It's through his word. He doesn't use tragedy or sickness or trials to teach us things. He uses the word of God to teach us things. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 says that it's the word that God uses for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instruction in righteousness. He doesn't use sickness. He doesn't use tragedy. He doesn't use death. He doesn't use trials. 
he uses the word to teach us and to correct us and to rebuke us. And see, guys, this is why it's so important that we know the word and that we renew our minds with the word of God. The word is how we are transformed into the image of who God has made us to be. And what we have through the finished works of Jesus, we are transformed into those things by the renewing of our mind. We are, we are not conformed to the thinking of this world. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that is why it's so important to find out what the word says about us, to speak it out loud over ourselves, because that is all a part of the mind renewal process. So as well as the fruit of the Spirit, we've just mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, God's given us the gifts of the Spirit. He's given us words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, gifts of faith, words of prophecy, the working of miracles, tongues and interpretation of tongues and the discerning of spirits. All of these gifts of the Spirit are like extra bonuses to the grace gifts that he's already given us. If we're in need of wisdom, he'll use someone to give us a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. He gives people words of prophecy to encourage the body of Christ and to build us up in our faith. He uses the interpretation of tongues so that someone can pray the perfect prayer in their heavenly prayer language and then someone else will give an interpretation so that everyone who is listening can also be encouraged by that perfect prayer. And not only that, God loves showing off. He loves displaying his wisdom and his power in signs and wonders. And so these are all things that accompany, signs that accompany the preaching of the gospel, that signs and wonders follow the preaching of the gospel. He's given us apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and the body of Christ who are all anointed for the equipping of the saints to accomplish his will in the earth. He's given us the angels. He has put the armies of heaven under our command, the armies of angels. The angels respond to the voice of the Lord. They not only respond to the voice of the Lord coming out of his mouth, they respond to the voice of the Lord coming out of our mouth. And when we speak the word of God and we confess the word of God, the angels hearken to that voice and they go and they go to work to fulfill and to bring about the, the uh, manifestation of that word of God. We can command the angels to encamp around our houses, our belongings, our children, our finances. If you hear a disaster is heading towards your house, if you turn on the news and see that an outbreak of disease is threatening to invade your country or your home, you can command the angels to encamp around you and deliver you and your family. If your son or your daughter or your family member goes out at night and you don't know where they are, you can command the angels to encamp around them. If you leave your car parked in the side street, you can command your angels to encamp around that car. The angels are at your command and they stand watch and stand guard over whatever or whoever you command them to encamp around. Now, if God was in control, he wouldn't have given us command over the angels because they would have to obey what he told them to do and not what we told them to do. He has given us command over the angels. He has told us to speak 
protection and speak deliverance over people and places and our belongings and the angels go to work to fulfill that and so he's not the one telling the angels to encamp around us we command the angels to encamp around us and so God has given us all of these amazing powerful mighty grace gifts because he loves us that's what it all comes down to so he knew the trials that we would face in life. He knew the enemy would, would um, hammer us and try to steal and kill and destroy from us. But he loves us so much that he gave us everything possible to overcome and win against the strategies of the enemy. He did not leave us stranded here on earth. From his fullness, he has given us grace upon grace. There's nothing more that he can possibly give us that he hasn't already given us. He's given us healing. He's given us deliverance. He's given us prosperity. He's given us peace and joy and love. He's given us everything that we need for salvation, everything that pertains to life and godliness. And then he's given us everything we need to protect and hold on to those things and stop the enemy from stealing, killing and destroying from us. There's nothing that he hasn't left uncovered. And that is why... When Paul asked God three times to remove the thorn in his flesh, God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, he was saying, Paul, I've already given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. I've given you my authority. I've given you authority over the enemy. Everything I've given you is sufficient for you to deal with this thorn. I don't have to remove it. I can't remove it. I've already given you all of my grace so that you can deal with it. My power is made perfect in your weakness or my power is completed or fulfilled in the areas that we are weak and that's why Paul said that he delights in weaknesses because when he is weak in his flesh in the natural and he can't do things by himself then he is strong because that's where God's grace fills in the gaps and makes up the the level because he's given us by his grace all the tools weapons armor word and holy spirit therefore Paul said he is strong he's not strong in the natural he's strong supernaturally because of the grace that God has given him so when people ask God, oh God, please heal me. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. When people ask God why their loved one died, God says, my grace was sufficient. When people ask why he allows a tragedy to happen, why didn't he stop it? God says, my grace was sufficient. And see, God isn't the cause of these things. He doesn't permit them. He can't stop them because his grace is sufficient. That's so good. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we can ask or imagine. But notice the next part of that verse. It says, according to his power that is at work within us. So yes, God can do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we can ask or imagine. But it's according to his power that is at work within us. We employ the power and authority that God has given us, then he can come to the party and do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we can ask or imagine about the situation.
Let's have a look at the argument, what about Job? This is the most quoted question, I think, in the human vocabulary. When you bring up the subject of grace and walking by faith, people always say, but what about Job? What about Job? God didn't protect him. God allowed the devil to stomp all over him. What about Job? Okay, now let me just clear this up. Asking what about Job is like asking why you didn't sacrifice a bull or goat to atone for when you messed up and told that lie. You tell a lie, well, you better go and sacrifice a bull or goat to atone for that sin then. It is an absolutely obsolete and non-relevant question. Job was under the old dispensation. He was under the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the old rules and system of government, which are now passed away, obsolete, and have been put into retirement. They are no longer relevant or applicable to us. We are now under the new covenant with better promises. We are now in the dispensation of grace, which is God's unmerited, undeserved favor. Our sins and iniquities have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers them no more. Job does not even come into the equation. Job did not have a covenant with God. He had no authority over the devil. He wasn't born again. Salvation was not a finished work for him. He didn't have the word of God. He didn't have the Holy Spirit or any of the other grace, gifts, weapons, armor or tools that we've just discussed. Job said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But God didn't say that. God said, I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. God said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when people bring up the argument about Job, it is completely irrelevant. It is a moot point. It does not even factor in when it comes to our covenant under the new dispensation of grace. Okay, so (laughs) I hope I've cleared that up. So no, God is not in control. He doesn't allow things, we allow them. He doesn't permit things, we permit them. He can't stop disaster from happening because he's told us to stop disaster from happening. The only way God can intervene in the affairs of men is if we give him permission to through our authority and through our prayers. Man has been given a lease on this earth. And when Jesus comes back, God will be in control once again. But in the meantime, we are the tenants on this earth and we have been told to occupy, to have dominion and take authority until Jesus comes back. But he's given us everything we need to maintain dominion and authority in the meantime. So if God's not in control, if he doesn't permit things and he doesn't stop things, why is there so much death and destruction in the world? Why are Christians dying and suffering and living hell on earth? Hosea 4 verse 6 says that my people perish through lack of knowledge. My people. God says my people perish through lack of knowledge. It's the Christians, it's the believers, it's the churchgoers, it's the born-again people. They perish or they suffer, they die, they, they go through tragedy and trials through lack of knowledge. 
and lack of knowledge of what? It's lack of knowledge of the word. It's lack of knowledge of what God has given them by his grace. It's lack of knowledge of what's rightfully theirs through the finished works of Jesus. It's lack of knowledge of their authority over the devil and sickness and disease and poverty and depression and terror. My people perish through lack of knowledge of who they are and what they have. See, a man could die of thirst right next to a well full of fresh water if he didn't know that there was water in the well and how to draw it out. My people die because they are right next to a well full of revelation and truth, but they don't know that it's in there and they don't know how to draw it out. That is why it is so important to be a doer of the word and to study the word and to speak the word and to make the word first priority in our lives every day. That is why we have to renew our minds every single day with the word of God so that we will never again let the enemy steal, kill or destroy from us. And we will never again wonder whether God is behind it because we will know who we are in Christ Jesus and the authority that we have as a believer. So why is the world so messed up, you may ask? Okay, so we've talked about why do Christians suffer, but why is the world so messed up? Why doesn't God do something about all the evil and stuff that's going on in the world? Firstly, tragedy, death, disaster, and terror, and all of those evil things are the sole work of the enemy. There is an enemy. His name is Satan. He is the God, small g, of this world until Jesus comes back. The only people that he is under is the feet of the believers, of the people who know their authority. He is the thief who is stealing, killing, and destroying. There are people living on the earth who are under the influence of the enemy and do terrible, evil things. Secondly, we live in an earth that is still under the curse that resulted from the fall. The darkness, the immorality, the ungodliness that is rampant on the earth right now through sin is increasing because the world has thrown God out. It's thrown morality out. It said we want to live how we want to live. You can't tell us what to do. You can't uh, discriminate against us. And they are reaping the wages of that sin, which is death. But don't get discouraged because we were born for a time such as this. The people who know their authority, who know who they are in Christ Jesus, this is why we are here right now at this time. The word says in Romans that where sin increases, grace much more increases. When there is darkness in Egypt, there is light in Goshen. And people will be drawn to that light that radiates from those who know who they are in Christ Jesus and the authority we have as believers. And you just watch. They will come to you when their bodies are sick and riddled with disease or they have been given a death sentence because you know your authority over sickness and disease and you can teach them. They will come to you when the hurricanes and the earthquakes and the fires and the tsunamis are threatening to destroy their homes because you know your authority over the wind and the waves and you know that a thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you and you can teach them. 
They will come to you when the economy is crashing down around them and they're on the brink of financial ruin because you know that you don't operate under the world's financial system. You operate under the financial system of the kingdom of God. They will come to you when they're hated and treated unjustly and slandered and lied about because you know how to operate in divine love and divine forgiveness and you radiate the love of God for your friends and for your enemies. They will come to you when the depression is so dark that they are thinking of taking their lives because you have a personal relationship with the Prince of Peace, the source of all joy, love himself, and you know the word that shines the light into the dark places. You can give them the word that will dispel the darkness in their minds. They will come to you when they're confused, full of fear, worried, anxious and terrified because you walk and talk and commune all day with the creator of the heavens and the earth who knows the end from the beginning and leads you into all the truth and teaches you all things and knows the answer to every question and the solution to every problem. They will come to you when the world's systems persecute the church and the Christians because of their stand for righteousness and morality, because you know your authority over the devil that tries to corrupt, to pervert, and to deceive our nation's leaders' eyes and minds. And when laws are passed that support and promote sinful, abominable acts and lifestyle, they will come to you because you know that it's no point complaining and crying about how terrible and nonsensical it all is because you know that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood and that people are simply pawns and puppets in the hands of the enemy. But you know that you have power and authority over all of the power of the enemy and that at the name of Jesus, he has to bow his knee. God's grace is sufficient for us. He is not in control. We are. If we permit things by being passive about them and not taking a stand against them, he can't do anything about it. He can't stop things from happening because he has given us delegated authority to stop them. But with the tools and the weapons and the armor and the authority and the dominion that he has given us, we are more than equipped and more than able to enforce and establish his will both in our lives and in the earth. We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And he always causes us to triumph and then through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of God. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And if we will use the power that is within us, if we will use the word, the name of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the authority and every other weapon God has given us, God will employ all the forces of heaven and everything available in the natural and the supernatural to back up our authority and he will do exceedingly abundantly far above all that we can ask or imagine. 
praise God, isn't that the best news that you've heard? I just love it. I love this topic. I love delving in and studying it out. And I just encourage you, don't just go off what I've said. You go to the word. You go and you look up the the scriptures for yourself and find out and ask God to show you. If you still have a lingering doubt in your mind of whether he's in control, whether he allows things, why doesn't he stop things? You ask him to show you and he will. He is waiting to prove himself faithful to us. So guys, I hope that this lesson has been beneficial to you, that you've learned something valuable. Don't ever again wonder if God's trying to teach you something, if he's allowing something. You go and you use the things that he's given you to turn situations around. And you know what? That will be your testimony. And then you will be able to encourage others and bless others by telling them the great things that God has done for you. So on that note, I just want to remind you that if you don't have a book of my confessions of faith, my confessions for life, which are God's scriptural promises to you, this is a booklet of confessions that cover all of the main areas of our lives. So health and finances, marriage, children, wisdom. And I've just updated my book to include a prayer over our nation. So confessions over your nation. Because we have a responsibility as believers to pray for our leaders, to pray for the people in authority. So if you don't have a Confessions for Life booklet and you would like one, or if you would like an updated copy, please just drop me an email at questions at faithtalks.com.au and I'll get that off to you, either a digital or hard copy. Until next time, guys, stay blessed and don't forget to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, and you will be blessed in all that you do. God bless you. Thank you so much for being part of today's episode of Faith Talks. If you have any questions related to today's or any of my previous episodes, if you have a testimony you would like to share, or for a free copy of Confessions for Life, please email me at questions at faithtalks.com.au. For episode announcements and regular encouragement, you can now find Faith Talks with Emily Preston on Facebook and Instagram. Finally, if you know anyone who would benefit from today's or any of my previous teachings, please share this podcast with them and help them receive revelation of the truth that will make them free. Until next time, know that I am praying for you and don't forget to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, and you will be blessed in everything that you do. God bless you.